Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. I'm Chip Ray, Ray Chantry. How are you, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that just that just flew right off the tongue. Yeah, I yeah, it's I should have practiced exercises a little bit more. <laughs> I literally in, threw one extra in, syllable. In your defense, it was two syllables that you screeching fucked up. Screeching halt. <laughs> hey, this is a uh, chip screeching halt chantry. How you doing, Ken? You did better than that than with the word Ray. I really did. <laughs> um, we are we are talking Stevie Ray Vaughan today. And we have a guest who um, uh, was the first person I had in mind. Well, the first person I had in mind for Stevie Ray Vaughan episode is dead. Uh, so you're you're the you're the first living person. <laughs> and that and that person is President George Bush. <laughs> no, I so I've been wanting to do an episode. Um, oh, let me introduce the guest. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Uh, Matt O'Ree. Yep, that's me. Uh, from the Matt O'Ree band, and he's he's been on the show before. You might remember him. Happy to be back. Yeah, happy to have you back. So I'm saying you're the first living person that I thought of for a Stevie Ray Vaughan episode because uh, uh, one of my best friends who passed away right before COVID. But Sorry, yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan, well, it's okay because he was a really funny comedian. Okay. And uh, he gave me one of his best jokes right before he died. Oh, wow. So it wasn't all, it wasn't all bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got, a, I got one good bit out of it. No, um, I, he was a brilliantly funny comedian uh, by the name of Angel Azada. He used to uh, – he opened for Trevor Noah. He was the warm-up comic for The Daily Show. Oh. And anytime we talked music, it, he would always steer it towards Stevie Ray Vaughan. So he would have been my first – Pick of it, sure. But uh, as far as alive people, you, you were the first person I thought of. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Because um, not only are you a musician and a blues guitarist, uh, you were telling me last time you were here that Stevie Ray Vaughan was maybe your biggest influence. He was definitely for for many, many years. I mean, I still listen to Stevie. How could you not? You know, he was absolutely one of the greatest blues musicians, you know, that ever walked the face of the planet. And, you know, the impact he had on guitar players and musicians, you know, there's, there's nobody that would be like, well, I don't like him. Yeah, you know, it's because it's even if you like blues or not, you know, there was a famous quote. I forget somebody had said something when after he passed to uh, Chris Layton, his drummer, mm -hmm. and uh, Chris Layton was telling the story, saying, "Hey, this fan said, you know, I don't, I don't even like blues music, but I cried when Stevie died." Yeah, because, because of the impact that he had on him being such a a a, a big-hearted person. Yeah. You know, and that came through his music and that touched more people than would have liked that genre of music. And that's what you hope for as an artist is you were hoping to, to move people. With, yeah. You know, well, it's funny because he's somebody I've always liked, you know, yeah. if uh, I've got a bunch of his songs on a big playlist, you know, so he comes up and I never skip. Um, if he comes on the radio, I always listen through, but I, I, he's not somebody I knew a ton about. Okay. Um, until actually just until I kind of started researching for this. Sure. And then I found out um, what, what a life, what a story. And he did that all on the side of what he died at 36, age 36. Yeah. Think? That's, you know, that's incredible. I mean, which his, is interesting. And, and, you know, I think opposing viewpoints are, are, are really good for podcasts. I, I'm not a fan. I don't care for his work. So um, I think we can get that out there. No, he's. he's come on. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I don't think we can be friends. <laughs> know, right? He is. But no. And that was the thing that like that quote that I heard that, that you said about like the guy that didn't even like like the blues. Yeah. Like I'm not a. I don't know the blues very well. I enjoy it, but like I, I don't get, but like you can't not like him. It's, this is probably an obvious thing, but like I'm not a big basketball fan. Like I was never a big basketball fan, but anytime you would show Jordan play, it's like there's something special about what, oh, what happened. Yeah. It's like you can't not enjoy what's what's happening there. I, I was in a restaurant in the city. I think it was BB King's or something like that before that was when it was still there. And there's a an amazing performance of Stevie live at the Elma Combo. Mm hmm. Is eight nineteen eighty three. He's still got drug issues, but it hasn't quite really taken him down, you know. And he's playing his ass off, 
and it's on the the TV, you know, in, in the bar, and we're having I'm having lunch with somebody for a meeting, and you could see people around the room like eating their lunch, just staring at it because he's just mesmerizing. Even if you don't play guitar, even if you don't like blues, you can't help but stare at him, and especially that performance. That's about the best performance. And, and Chris Layton again, the drummer, is like that was just an average night for Stevie, and it's like, and you see the performance, and it's like it's just it's it's mind boggling. The El Macambo, that's um that's like a tiny club in, is it in Canada? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um there's a lot of uh a lot of legendary performances came out of the El Macambo. Yep. The Stone the Stones just put out a live set from there. Oh that's really? It's been Okay. Um it was right from uh I guess when they were starting to tour the black and blue album. Okay. And um there's some incredible uh, blues numbers on there. That's awesome. Yeah, they do. Uh, and, and you could hear like you can, there's something different when you're listening, um, from a 300 seat club yep. live album to, uh, you know, compared to listening to like, now they just cut their live albums in stadiums. Yeah. And put the audience <laughs> like kiss alive. Yes. <laughs> I stole it from Frampton. <laughs> um, but I was uh, yeah. So I'm reading about Stevie Ray Vaughan last night, and it's it's insane uh, the impact that he had. And he really only had uh, first album comes out in '83, yeah, uh, Texas Flood, correct. And then he dies in 1990. Wasn't in a, very long period a, of time. Yeah, in a helicopter well, crash. I so. mean, he was you know he was obviously extremely active in Austin, Texas, which is where he. Did most of his playing, you know, before that, you know, and so he was the hometown hero, I think, already. But then, of course, the story with David Bowie and that really helped, you know, yeah. propel the next steps that, that got Texas Flood to actually be a record on Epic Records. Yes. Yeah, I, I was reading about that. I want to get into that. Um, but he he started out. So his brother, his older brother, Jimmy Vaughn, is an established musician at, at the as he's growing up and uh, he looks up to him. So he's trying to emulate him and he starts playing guitar at age seven and by age 14, 13 or 14. He's he's already bouncing around local bands. It's crazy. I read something last night that he he was in this band. He auditioned at 14. <laughs> they needed a bass player. So he auditioned for bass and got it. He was able to play. He, I guess he was serviceable at bass. Sure. And then the guitar player of this band, like, heard him just fucking around one day during soundcheck on guitar and very graciously was like, oh, I'll, I'll play bass. <laughs> I'll play, you play guitar and I'll play the bass yeah, from now on. We're good. Yeah, they switched instruments. And then I was reading that this band, uh, it was a nine piece, had a horn section. Yeah. 14 year old Stevie Ray Vaughan on guitar. And they are playing uh, like some show in Austin where ZZ Top is the headliner. And they call... Billy Gibbons calls Stevie Ray Vaughan on stage to jam with them yep. uh, at 14. Which is amazing. Incredible. And then he like woke up and you went know. to high school the next day. <laughs> yeah, like he would, say, they would yeah. say he would just play until six in the morning and then just go to high school. Yep. Like not, that's just not, nonstop. There is an actual story too. I, I was watching a, a documentary of him last night and I'd heard this story before and I actually saw the guy's name on, on the bill. But... Uh, if you guys know the actor Stephen Tobolowski, you guys yeah. know who that is. Yes, the bald, the bald guy from Groundhog Day and yeah. yep. character actor and everything. He was a musician back in Texas back in the day, and I think it was like a 13, 14 year old Stevie Ray Vaughan played on their band's first album, and oh, like yeah. he he was just, Stephen Tobolowski was like older, and he was like what, what the he's like the Vaughn kid from down the street. Like we, we don't want kids around and then was just completely blown away by him. And, uh, uh, yeah. And then was like, well, I guess I'll be an actor. Yeah, yeah, I, should, I should be a character. I guess, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do a voice in Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> you want, I wonder how many, um, I mean, we're joking, but have, have, have you ever been around somebody so good 
that you were like, oh, I'm not cut out for this at all? Like, have you ever seen somebody so good that it made you rethink what you were doing? Close. Yeah. But to me, it's like I always thought, and I know it's true, hanging around and playing with musicians better than you is what you want to do. You want that inspiration. You want yeah. you want to learn from the best. You know, um, my voice teacher always had a a, a, sta- a saying that you can't you can't fly with the you can't soar with the eagles if you're running with the turkeys. Yeah. So always look for the person who's better than you. You know, to to learn from. You know, and I I, had, I would say that Warren Haynes. You know, hanging with him one day and watching him play me to you. Yeah. Distance. You know, that was like. It almost made me like, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should go work, work on cars or something. Maybe my dad was right. Yeah. <laughs> Mom said, where's the fall, fallback plan? But, I uh, um, But, I, yeah, but it more inspired me to want to go yes. home and, and, and work, yeah. work more. I've all, I always, yeah, I'm, I, I, like with comedy, I was always like, oh, let me be the weakest link on the lineup. Like I would, yeah. I would rather be the weakest link on a great lineup because sure. I felt like that's how you learn and that's how you get better. Those people are pulling you up, they're yeah. pulling you along, you know. And if they're real comrades, you know, in your industry, whether it's musicians or comedians, they they would do that. Yeah, you know, if they're if they're not, then they're not going to give you the time of day, you know. I remember. I don't know if I've told this story on here, but I remember seeing Jim Gaffigan pop in at a bar show. Wow. And uh, his wife had just beaten brain cancer. Wow. And he did, no lie, like a 10 or 15 minute chunk of material on his wife's brain tumors. That was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Wow. And uh, I remember texting uh, this, this uh, Angelo, the comic I was telling you about up front. I remember texting him and was like, uh, Gaffigan just did a bit that I I think is make like I I don't know what I'm doing. I th- maybe I should quit. I'm, I'm <laughs> never. And then he texts me back right away. He says, "Hey, Jim Jim Gaffigan is a master at his craft. He's one of the top comedians. You know, twenty thirty years. Sure. Uh, you need to relax. <laughs> and then I remember thinking like, oh, okay. And then I felt better. Yeah. <laughs> and then. Uh, Two seconds later, he texts back a list of names of famous comedians. He's like, these guys have been doing it less than five years. They're the ones who should make you want to quit. <laughs> that's, that's, <just> <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> he had me feeling better about myself and then right back down. But um, yeah, there there is something to that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's that's you can't compare yourself to somebody who's has no. 15, 20 years on yeah, you, yeah. you know. But you, it's, you know, it inspires you to want to be better, and that's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you uh, when you open for people, when you're when you're an opening band, sure. Um, we, you, we we just did Co Wetzel. Yeah, Co Wetzel. It's a great show. Do you, uh, who who who's on that with you? Uh, in my band? No. What's I? Oh, uh, uh, Co Wetzel. Yeah, he's a country. Oh, okay. Ish. Oh, rock I, okay. Guy, I I I didn't, I didn't know that much about him, but I'm glad I did the show because he was he was fantastic. Great yeah. show. Great people too. Really nice to us. But uh, I'm sorry, your question. Do you ever do you ever get competitive? Like um, I wanna I wanna. Uh, steal fans. I want to blow. I want to blow the headliner off the stage. I mean, that's that's what we hope for. Yeah. You know, but not not steal them. But hope. Yeah. You know, but yeah, steal them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're there to to make fans and make friends. You know, and, and grow our our brand. You know. Um, but I always, you know, it's always out of respect for the headliner for sure. But we can't not be who we are. Yeah. So if if we're a better sounding act or a better act than the headliner, that's just the way it is. We're not doing it to be like, hey, right? Yeah, but know? it's 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 a weird being an opener is a weird, yeah, uh, it, because you can be penalized for being too good at your job, which it, is it could definitely happen where the headliners. <laughs> that's just it's too much. They're too pro to be that. But, you know, other headliners are like, that's great. You know, oh, my God, that you guys are right where you should be, you know. And we always hope for that one person to be like, you got to do more dates with us. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, that spot on most tours is bought and paid for. So if you want to be the opener for their tour, you're you're buying on. There is, there's, I'm glad you talked about that because I I don't think a lot of people know that that's what happens. That's, that's the reality of it. So it's my, my one friend, Tony Pellegrosi, he used to own the Starland Ballroom, big concert promoter. He's like, man, you know, be careful what you wish for because you're doing great here at the bars in Jersey, but to get to that next level, it takes a lot of money. And that's what it is. It's it's unfortunate that the underdog doesn't have a chance unless they have a financial backer. Because yeah. not only are you buying on tour, you still got to pay your band. You still got to pay for fuel, which we know is through the roof. We still got to pay for hotels. Yeah. And you know, it's like, how do you do that on on selling merchandise? Because you're not getting paid for the gig. Because yes. because you bought the gig. So it's like, okay, well, how does you know? And when that was thousands of thousands of dollars, how do you, you know? And you hope that you gain that audience and sell a lot of merchandise to at least offset some of the cost, at least the, the daily operation. Mm-hmm. But it's still that big nut that you put out to buy on the tour, you know. And unfortunately, that's just. And why wouldn't the headliner sell it? You know, I keep thinking like, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. That's that's immoral. But why wouldn't they? If they could pay for their own fuel for their tour, yeah. By renting out the spot, why, why wouldn't they? You know, of course their managers are going to do it. Maybe the band guys don't want to do that, but the the guys in suits and ties are like, screw it, we'll, we'll take your money. Yeah, you know. But Matt, that, do you ever get direction? Sometimes as as comics, like we'll get a headliner that's like, uh, we don't want you to be dirty or don't mention this topic or whatever. Do you ever get direction from? your the headlining bands to be like, don't do this type of song or don't play too loud, don't. Like, do you ever do you ever get any specific directions from them? Well, we've definitely had that, and you know, over the years. But most, you know, headliners don't say much. You know, they don't even know you're there. Yeah. You know, they're at the hotel or the restaurant or something, and maybe they catch a few minutes of your last song. You know, so right. that's that's usually how it goes. So it's like, oh my god, we got the opener gig. We're gonna we're gonna meet Warren Haynes, and then you know he shows up after you're done. And it's it, that's just the way it goes, and you're like, oh, man, you know. But it's still a good gig for the band, you know. You're still playing in front of a lot, you know, a target audience. You hope, and you but, still you know, never know that old adage. You still never know who's in the crowd. Yep, and that that's what you that's what that's what you hope for, you right? Know? And you hope that you sell merchandise and, and again steal their fans, you know, or make fans, and maybe that's a better way to put it. But either way, you're trying to to grow your brand and your audience, and that's the best way to do it to get you know maximum amount of spo- exposure. But hopefully, you'll get you know five of those gigs and not just the one in, yeah. in your hometown that's what you hope for and unfortunate for us that that hasn't quite happened just yet but we've opened for so many people and you know i'm blessed to have yes. say that we that's on our resume that's, right that's an awesome thing and, and and as a kid starting out if someone had told you these are all the people you're gonna perform with oh my god i never you would you would have signed the deal you wouldn't have looked back you wouldn't have you wouldn't have questioned a thing or i wouldn't have believed them (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's great that our our, that we're still in the you know as we're getting older i'm not a kid anymore that we're still in the running for getting those gigs you know and we hope that we get more of those gigs around the country not just obviously in a regional area yeah um so so to go back uh, when we were talking about um you never know who's in the crowd because sure. this this is this is this, this is Stevie Ray Vaughan this is this is the start of a wild story yep so Stevie Ray Vaughan uh does a set uh at at Montro um they have a uh, was Switzerland right it's, they, it's Switzerland I think they from what I read they had to save up their money to pay for their own plane tickets to get to the gig yeah so this is really on their own dime which which fast forward to nowadays that's the way it is now yeah. back then it was like they're not paying for your flights you know but whatever I'm sorry um no no it's fine um so Stevie Ray Vaughan is there he, they're invited because they I guess they do a blues night Yes. And uh, they're invited to the blues night and um, apparently it goes very well. And uh, Stevie receives a phone call a couple days later from David Bowie saying he was in the audience. Which is like, what? Yeah. <laughs> him, him and Jackson Brown. Yeah. Were, oh, I didn't hear that about. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if Jackson was there, but that it t- somehow that tie is there mm-hmm. because that leads to. 
Jackson helping him make the record. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. He, he, Jack, yes, he re- they right. recorded at Jackson Studio. Jackson, yes. Jackson yeah. saw them and said, "You can use my studio free of charge anytime." You want. Which I guess for a musician, that's like being, especially then, because now it's like, okay, you can use my house. You could use my phone. But back then to to get a, yeah. a professional studio and not have to pay for it. That's cra- that's unheard of. Yeah. Um so uh he gets this phone call from David Bowie who is uh in the middle of putting together Let's Dance. Uh, his by a mile his biggest commercial hit yeah and it was uh the pinnacle of his fame so, yep. so david bowie's never more famous than he was in 1983 you know probably up until 85 and um he's invited to record on the album and tour it yeah and uh, Bowie allegedly says, oh, and maybe you and Double Trouble can open up some of the dates. That's what I heard, yeah. Which is, you know, maybe he's saying that just to get him to sign on. Maybe he means it. Sure. Maybe he's just stringing them along. Sure. But at the same time, uh, and I'm glad you brought up Jackson Brown. At the same time, they went, they used Jackson Brown's studio, yep. put together 10 songs. Yeah. And record their first album, yeah. uh, Texas Flood. So right when the album is completed and about to come out, he gets this offer for Bowie. And uh, he's not sure what to do because part of him feels like this first album is his baby and he's he's got to go out there. Sure. Then they come up with the idea, we can just uh, mimic – Bowie's tour so they could so if Bowie's in New York City to play the garden um, on the off night Stevie Ray Vaughan could headline some club in New York City you know so they're they're gonna they're gonna parrot the the Bowie stops I guess that becomes a little complicated you know because it's like well what if what if the crew is leaving uh, yeah. On the off day, what what if that's a travel day? Now you're booked. So they they've got a lot to figure out. Um, and then uh, I don't think a lot of people know that Stevie Ray Vaughan played on Let's Dance. I don't think they do. But when you, I, I just found that out it, recently. I was blown away. I I couldn't believe I didn't know that. When, when you listen to Let's Dance, it's if, if you're a Stevie fan, how could you not hear that it's him? Yes, like, es- he's, especially. Um, it's so recognizable. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the That opening riff of um, cat people putting out fire. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that and you're like, oh, that's and, – and to Bowie's credit because you would, you would think like why would Bowie see this blues master and, and think to put him on this dance album? Sure. And I think that was part of Bowie's genius was, oh, yeah. was knowing – to take somebody from a genre and stick them in something they're not comfortable with. Yep. Like during the during the making of Low, which is considered his masterpiece, he's got the guitarist playing drums, the drummer playing bass, the bass player play. He, he's having them switch up instruments. I know. And um, he does everything in one take, just about. It's which it's amazing. Uh, which uh, I would think. For like a perfectionist like Stevie Ray Vaughan, that's actually maybe frustrating. Sure. Like I, I was reading that he was super unhappy with his work on China Girl. Really? Yeah. Because they did it in one take and then uh, – And that was it. I don't want to get I – I, I have it uh, printed. I don't want to get technical, but he, yeah. it was, he, he was playing the wrong chord. Uh, and he yeah, there was like a it. chord change. Yeah, and there was okay. like he just hit, he just landed on the wrong note. Gotcha. And they just left it. And they just left it. And wow. then he was like, "All right, well, let me go back and try that again." And Bowie was like, "Nah, it's perfect." Wow. <laughs> I mean, but you know, but, but we we had a chance to record at the Magic Shop in in Soho on the last record, the Brotherhood record with mm-hmm. Springsteen and all the other people that are on that. And Bowie did all the last work for of his of his records at the Magic Shop, 
And it, it was a small, unassuming studio. You wouldn't even know it was there. It was, you know, metal door. You walk in, and it's this narrow hallway, control room, and then a big live room. And they had a basement for offices. But the sound of the live room was, was magic. It was no other way to say it. Yeah. So as soon as I walked in to, to day one for us to work on the record, I'm like, all right, where did David sit? <laughs> He's like, oh, he sat, he sat right here on the edge of this couch. I'm like, okay, all right, let me sit down here and we check out the scenery. And then I went down to the bathroom down in the basement, and I'm like, I came back up, and I'm like, did did, did Bowie piss in that urinal? And, and, and they're like, I would assume so. And I'm like, okay, good, 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 I'm good. Like, and, and any place he was in that studio, like I, I had to, I had to mimic his yeah his positioning. Yeah, but it, it was such an honor to to be in that room and, and know that he did all the the. Everything he did before he passed away, he did at that studio. Yeah, but yeah, he's just one take, and that was it. Mistakes and all. He, yes, he was not about the. Except me, his music's gone along, and the invention of Pro Tools and the invention of computer computer based recording and the amount of editing you can do now, which you couldn't do back then. I think musicians went in the wrong direction. Yeah. Now it's like everything's perfect, polished, fixed. Every every T is crossed and I's dot. It's it's too much. It doesn't sound like a person no more. It sounds it sounds mechanical. It doesn't sound like a band anymore. It sounds mechanical. They they lost all that feel. Yeah. You know, which which is our, our new record. That's our first singles coming out July twenty eighth. Um, and we did the whole record live. Everything's live except for vocals. We did vocals back at yeah. home just to save money, so we're not in the big studio, you know, spending lots of money, you know, cutting vocals so we can do that at home. But all the instrumentation was done live, and it feels so much better. Yeah, this record than any other record that I've ever made. That's great. Yeah. July twenty eighth. The, the July single 28th. comes out. July twenty eighth. First single comes out. The record will be out later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear it. Um. Yeah, and and recording live in the studio is it's such um, I, I you would know better than me, but I, you do get the feeling that not as many bands do it anymore. I think a big part of it, number one, like I said, Pro Tools and the editing capability. But the other side is because we have that editing capability, the quality of musicians being able to perform under that kind of pressure, under the red light syndrome of recording, has gone downhill. So, you know, you play live and you make a mistake and it goes by and nobody, you yeah. know, it's gone. You're the only one who knows, really. It's gone. But on a recording, you don't want that mistake there. So how do you do a performance that's, you know, that's mistake-free for the most part, or in Bowie's case, maybe one or two odd things. But sometimes those odd things become a, a, a thing. Yes. That's like, wow, I'm glad I didn't fix that. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, and I'm sure in Bowie's case, that's what he was hearing, you know. So he was, he was a genius. Yeah. Um, and they said so Stevie was having trouble. He could he couldn't read music, which yeah. which is I, I guess you hear that a lot. Can you read music? I can. Uh, I didn't in the earlier days of being a musician, but um, you know, I've, I'm, since I'm a music teacher, I have to be able to yeah deliver that to students too. But my sight reading skills are much slower than they've ever been now because I don't use it that much. Yeah. Most most studios nowadays, hey, can you play on so and so song? They send me the song. I'll write my own quick chart. I'll do the performance and I'll email it back to them. And that's how things go nowadays. So again, that, that technology as great as it is, it's, I think it's made musicians more either lazier or they're just not using that skill no more. So they, that you lose that kind of skill yeah. if you're not using it all the time. And, and it's like you said, you can, you can feel it, you can hear it. Yep. You know, it's Definitely. like you could when, when it's cut live, you know, and now things are pieced together and it, it is great that it's convenient where my buddy in Ohio is producing a, a new country artist calls us up and hey, can your wife sing on some of the songs? No problem. I record her at the house at the condo, you know, and email it back to her, you know, and it's, it's great to have that convenience that we never left the house and we made money. Yes. Yeah. You know? And we got to record, you know, together and, you know, share that love together that we have as husband and wife, which is awesome. Um, but it's it's not the same. It's like being in the room with all the people together. That's the magic, that, and that yeah. comes across in the recording. Um, I remember reading once uh, something about the Stones because the Stones record live oh, in the studio. Yep. It's it's however many of them on that song, sure, in a circle. However many takes they do until they get the right oh, yeah. the well, right they'll, take they'll, of yeah, the song. They'll do ninety takes. Sure, yeah. And, and um, that's the, why were the Beatles so great? Because they played constantly. And why was Hendrix, uh, Hendrix 
um, his manager, uh, Chaz Chandler, said Hendrix, when he went to the Lou, he had the guitar on him. Yeah. Like, he, when the minute he woke up to the minute he went to bed, he was always playing the guitar. Yeah. That's why he's so good. Yes. That's what they yeah. said about Eddie Van Halen, too. Same that thing. He just, he locked himself in his bedroom for and his, his entire teenage years. Yeah. And his studio, before he passed away, he said, there's, I mean, hours and hours and, I mean, thousands of hours of material he's recorded that the world will never hear. So I hope that Wolfgang sifts through some of it and, yeah. and, and shares it with the world, whether Eddie wanted that or not. Just because Eddie would lock himself in the studio. That, that's what musicians do. Yeah. You know? Especially musicians of that era because they played together. They all played together. You know, Van Halen 1 was, was cut at the same time, except for D Dave wasn't there, I don't think. I think he, and did, that, he did vocals the next week, I think, is what it was. That's as, uh, I mean, that's as perfect a rock debut, oh. I think, has ever been recorded. Yep. And that was them playing it live at the same yep. time. Um, so, uh, so Stevie starts running and he, him and Bowie start button head. I don't know if it's him and Bowie directly or if it's like him and the management. It sounded like the management to me, I think. But I read that, um, he called out like one of the first days Muddy Waters had died. Oh. And he called out because said he was in mourning. And he, apparently he didn't even know Muddy Waters. Yeah. So they were like, oh, one of your friends died? He was like, no, it's Muddy Waters died. Yeah. And they were like, so you're not coming to rehearsal? He was like, no, I'm not coming to rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the management was upset. Carlos Alomar, who, who's a guitarist and Bowie's band leader at the time, sat them down. He's like, listen, this, this is a blues man. And, yeah. and Muddy Waters just died. And whether or not he was close with him doesn't matter. No. You just got to give him the day. Absolutely. Um, Stevie was friends with Albert King. Yes. And there's videos of them playing yeah. together before Albert passed. And, and you can see Stevie's. And Albert's like, you know, Stevie, play that thing that you do. What's that pride and joy? And Stevie's like, oh, I try. You know, he was like all humbled, you know, sitting next to his absolute hero, you know. Well, he, he says that all he did on Let's Dance yeah. is, uh, in his words, he sprayed Albert King all over that album. Pretty much, because he's, out, you know... You know, that's, you hear that all over Let's Dance. Yeah. You know, that and this one. And that was that was straight out of, out of Albert's book. And yeah. And Stevie doing it. Yeah. And um, the the work that, I mean, to Bowie's credit that, like I said, that he that he saw this guy playing the blues and was like, this is who I need for my, for my dance. Which is crazy. Yeah. But that's Bowie genius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so the album is the debut album. It's, it's close to coming out and they're about to leave for this tour. And Stevie Ray Vaughan's having an artistic, uh, he's having an artistic dilemma and he doesn't know, does he want to go on Bowie's tour and, and, uh, be part of this massive successful tour yeah. or, does he want to forge ahead and worry about his own album? Because sure. originally he's saying, um, you know, well, well, Bowie was so enamored of him, you know, and, and but Bowie, I think also was a little like a uh, shiny new toy, you know, like he, he did it with Iggy Pop. He, he does it. He does it with a few different musicians throughout his life where he's totally enamored and then he gets bored and moves on to the next. Sure. Um, and then they start like the opening dates never really materialized. Like Double Trouble is they were told, well, you can open a handful of dates and then that never really materializes. And uh, Bowie sits down with Carlos Alomar and he's like, hey, I'm having this dilemma. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm thinking it'll be good for the album to have uh, my profile with Bowie. Sure. You know, the, people will. People will pay more attention. He was like, and then we're doing press on every tour. So maybe Bowie can mention the album or maybe they'll let me mention it. And then Carlos Alomar was like, they're not going to let you do that. You know, you're yeah. not here for you or your album. You're here in service of David Bowie. Sure. Uh, he said, 
uh, you know, you might like you, you may get a few fans walk out of the show each night like, oh, I got to go check out the, that guitar players records. He said, but probably not yeah. that many. It's not going to be what you hope. Because how big of Stevie's part would actually be in the show? You know, he's there playing a few licks, you know, on some songs, but it's all about Bowie. Yeah, and that's the that's the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and and Stevie's not even making that much money on the tour either. No. Yeah. So, uh, what was the, what was the number? Do you know? I don't know the. Do you know the number, Chip? It just. I don't think it mentioned the number in the article, but it was basically just like I, he 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 wasn't making a a ton. I'm yeah. sure it was. It had. I'm sure it was more than you <laughs> what, know. He, what he was making at home. <laughs> sure. Um. So. Uh, and then Carlos is saying, like, and it's your your first album is your baby. So you're, you're never going to get a chance to do your first album again. So you really have to think about what you want. Sure. And, um, I, and I guess Stevie thought about it maybe a little too long because he waits until literally the day that they're leaving to start the tour. Oh, that's, uh, that's what happened. The, the tour is set to begin, like, in three days. The first show is in three days. So three days prior, they're they're all getting on the bus and heading to wherever, and Stevie quits. Wow. And um, and, and also just to throw another monkey wrench into it to go back a little bit, like Stevie's going through some drug issues, as is his wife Lenny at yeah. the time, yeah, the woman. Yeah, and she was she would get like in Bowie's face, and oh uh, yeah, yeah, really? that's yeah. yeah like, they yeah. ha- they had to boot her from rehearsal. <laughs> she she wasn't allowed she wasn't allowed to come see them rehearse anymore wow. because she kept you know she she was Didn't advocating for Stevie and and it's weird I, I get you could tell I guess you could tell that he this was his first real uh, he'd been doing his own thing for so long with his own bands I guess this was his first taste of like hey none of this is about you yeah. Um, and she wasn't having it. No, she she wasn't having it. So it's weird. Like he, it's an interesting. I, I mean, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, you'd say, well, he definitely picked the right. He, he picked the right lane. It was a gamble. Yeah, because he he could have he could have ended up being the next Carlos Alomar yeah. or the next Reeves Gabrell or the next Earl Slick. Um, but unless you're Huge David Bowie fans, you're not going to know those names. No. The average person isn't going to know who you're talking about. But Stevie Ray Vaughan is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yep. And uh, he sparked that whole blues re- uh, movement. revitalization movement yeah. that, that happened in the 80s. Because there, there wasn't anybody playing the blues back then. I Clap, mean- Clapton had stopped. And then, you know, Robert Cray came out. You know, Robert Cray came out. Yeah, because. Because of him. Yeah. Stevie and, yeah, because they were like, hey, we got to find the next this dude. And, and then, then they started looking for yeah. uh, they started looking for blues artists. And then the Thunderbirds really had their their big thing, too. I mean, they were always popular in Texas, obviously. But once they had that tough enough thing that was they were all, all over MTV. Yeah. You know. Um, Man, I, I, I was watching. uh I was watching. You can go on YouTube and watch entire Stevie Ray concerts, yeah. and I, so I, I watched a couple of them last night. Uh, this dude dressed like uh, <laughs> a kimono, it, but it was like he was wearing like Z Cavaricci pants yeah. with cowboy boots with, but the pants tucked into the boots. Yes. Yeah, and then like a blouse and a kimono. Yeah, he's he's he he dresses like. If Yogi Bear like roller skated into one end of a pink <laughs> closet and came out the other side. Yes. You know, like that. <laughs> and, like, He's that's... wearing a cowboy hat with like a giant ostrich feather. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's like a skunk tail on it. Like that, like, and that just shows you how cool and brilliant Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like any less talent, you'd be like, get please get this crazy person off stage right sure. now he needs to eat and then it just totally his talent just totally blows away his his wardrobe at any moment it's amazing it's amazing yes <laughs> yeah yeah he dressed with the swagger of a guy that was like i i can spin a wheel to pick out each article of clothing yeah and still it's like the first day a toddler's allowed to dress himself <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
<laughs> or dad dad dressed yeah. the daughter. Right, right, yeah. On, yeah. on the day off. There was a, 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 an interview with Tommy Shannon, the bass player, and he said but before they were famous, they were dressed in that stuff. And they went to the mall. And, he, and like he and Stevie were just sitting on like a, you know, a centerpiece or whatever yeah. in the middle of the mall, you know, a little brick wall or whatever. And Stevie whips out a pipe. He's smoking a pipe. <laughs> and, and, and Tommy's like, he looked over, it looked, just saw like the, the imagery of this. And he was like, you know what? As, cr- as crazy as this seems at the moment, I just knew that that's where I wanted to be. <laughs> and, and people are looking at them because they look ridiculous. Yeah. And he didn't care. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, if I could play guitar like that, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care about <laughs> no. anything. I mean, I yeah. dress like I don't care now and I have nothing going on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So Stevie Ray Vaughan almost single handedly brings the blues back into discussion, you sure. know, it makes it makes it a viable art form again, um, which I'm guessing, you know, gets a whole generation of uh, kids yep, to come after that to, mm-hmm. to look at this music that they wouldn't have looked at yeah. otherwise. It's true. Um, you said you said they were a big. You said Stevie was one of your biggest influence. I remember you saying oh, sure. that you that you shoplifted. Yeah, I did, uh, the, one of his. You got into some trouble. I with, did uh, with Bradley's. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember Bradley saying, "You know, you can never come back in this store." And I'm like, "No problem, no problem. I will be." <laughs> and and it was like years later, I'm Christmas shopping with my mom, and she's like, "Come on, I gotta stop in Bradley's." And I'm like, "Ah." I'm not, I'm not going in there. And, and my, even my mom was like, oh, they don't care anymore. It was 10 years ago. And I'm like, I'm not going in there. I'm a man of my word. I, I, I messed up. I shouldn't have been doing something stupid. And I, I, I learned my lesson and I never went back in the store. I stayed stuck to my word. But yeah, so that I had clipped Stevie Ray Vaughan live, live alive. Oh, that's a good one. That's great. I, I, yeah. I think that was the album that uh, turned me on to him. Was was live alive? Apparently, that was redone in the studio because they were had such the drugs were really taking it to effect in the taping of that show that was supposed to be the record, and uh, they were like, "Yeah, this is bad. We, we gotta we gotta recut some stuff." So the, the audience is from the show, but the, yeah. some of the performances were done in the studio. Well, I saw him interviewed about it, and he said that he was so comfortable playing in the studio, recording in the studio. That they initially, I guess this is probably the cocaine talking, (laughs) but his initial idea was, let's bring an audience into the studio and we'll cut the live album. Uh, That makes sense. And then they were like, you know what would make way more sense is if we just cut the live album at a venue that's built for people. Oh, does that it? Okay. So, um, well, I think that was... That was what... Uh, yeah, he he wanted to do it in the studio with. They were like, "How are we going to get a concert's worth of people?" Who's the, the <laughs> who's the announcer? He's like, he's got like a Spanish kind of accent. He's oh. like, Steve, Steve Rivo and Steve Rivo and like he sounds you know European for sure. Yeah, and I was like, who's that guy? <laughs> he was probably Stevie's coke dealer or something. <laughs> he was like, "Listen, I'll let you be. <laughs> I'll cut you in on a percent of the royalties." Yeah, if you could. I don't know if this is true, but I I heard that he would wake up in the morning and dump cocaine into uh, a glass of whiskey and into a glass and then pour whiskey in and then drink that and like that would be his. Uh, uh. They, they were apparently on tour in Europe and like he just started puking blood yeah. like that was just like yeah. and and that was kind of the moment. And then the, apparently the doctor was like, yeah, probably dissolving cocaine in a whiskey isn't good for your stomach. Yeah, and it was, it was just it was, like ripping it to shreds. He said, yeah, I think he said he had like a month. to. He's like, if you keep doing this, you got a month and, and you're done. Wow. I'm old fashioned, like you eat like whiskey or cocaine first thing in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, j- just be don't be greedy. Right. Pick, pick one. Pick one. <laughs> Not saying you can't ease into the other by lunch, but, yeah. you, you know, maybe start with whiskey. Get a little breakfast in your stomach before moving on. Re-entry. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he does. And then what was was it around? I guess it was like 
87, 88 is when he got clean then? I think so, yeah. He 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 does yeah, like get he went, clean. He went like hardcore clean. It's it sounds like yeah. He he puts out in, in the span of seven years, I think, four studio albums. Uh each one well received critically. Yep. Commercially does much better than blues albums sure, uh, had yeah. any right to do. Yeah. In in the eighties. And and he they, they did infuse a little bit more of, you know, not straight up blues. But it was still a blues record, yep. in my opinion. But they they kind of crossed the genre a little bit mm-hmm. into into the rock world and had great success with it. Yes, know? yeah. I mean, he. I was watching him. Uh, he famously covered uh, "Voodoo Child" yeah. by Jimi Hendrix, and there's so many versions of this on YouTube. You can go click on any live one, and it'll blow your mind. Yep. And I remember watching, and he's playing the guitar with his teeth, and he's playing it behind his back like Jimmy used to do. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking like. First off, the the balls it takes to to cover Jimi Hendrix and then be like, oh, let me do his 10-minute song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then to do it as well. I know. He was, you know. He was he was uh he was a singular talent. Um and on, I think he 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 dies too soon. He he so he dies in uh, 1990. We were talking August. about this off area. I'm curious about this. We're we're coming up on the on the date. Um, he uh he's at a concert. He's at Alpine Fest. Alpine Valley. Alpine Valley. Yeah. Where is that? In- Colorado. Is that just I Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wisconsin or Michigan? Because okay. it's like I think it's like. Uh, basically a helicopter's ride away from Chicago, I think. Because we're, I think they were, I could get this wrong. I think they were staying in Chicago, but then would be helicoptered into, it was like Wisconsin or Michigan or something like that. I think, not, I think it was in ski, kind of like ski country, right? Somewhere yeah. in the mountains. Um, and everybody's on the show. Clapton's on the show. Jeff Beck. I mean, yes. Jimmy yeah, Vaughn. Yes. Um, Robert Cray, I think too. And yeah, East, East Troy, Wisconsin. Apparently yeah. That's where it is. Yeah. I I remember, I was telling you this off air, I remember hearing about it, I guess, very early on. And they had, they had announced that Eric Clapton was on the helicopter. Yeah. And they initially, incorrectly, obviously, announced Eric Clapton's death. Yeah. Um, And then you told me you actually have, you have have like an inside scoop on this. I do. I I got a call. I guess this was... 2008, I got an email from from a club down in um, South America. And at first it's like, this is bogus, you know. Who wants me to come to South America? You know, it's a Coke dealer. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, unfortunately, that's the first thing I think of. And it's down in, in, in uh, Chile, Santiago. And I went back and forth in the emails, and, and I'm still thinking that this is just bogus. You know, this is not going to – this is somebody, you know – but it turned out to be a real thing. It was a real gig. It was a guy that owned the venue. And somehow he got my name to come down for... So he would hire a single artist to come down, and he would supply a house band. And uh, and he would play two nights down there, and they put you up, they feed you, and, mm-hmm. and the money was great. And I didn't really think it was still a real thing until I actually got the 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 money transfer, yeah. the wire transfer. And I went to the bank, and I'm like, is this an, a legitimate thing? Is this the money really there? And they were like, yeah, this is this is for real. And I'm like, all right, and I guess I'm going to South America. You know, and, I, and, and it was a stopover in Colombia, and, and they got everybody off the plane and, you know, guys in green suits and, you know, M16s. You know, I'm like, how'd you get American weapons? But whatever. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was like a weird thing because I don't speak any Spanish. I mean, very poorly. I didn't learn much in Spanish class, unfortunately. You know, and, and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't, what am I going to do? You know, no one's speaking English. And we're in Colombia. And then they rest everybody back on the plane. And I finally got to San, Santiago. Got picked up. And they were the nicest people in the world. And it turns out that the bass player is from Chicago. Mm-hmm. His name is Greg Arzab. R-Z-A-B is his last name. Greg was the bass player on the tour with, uh, with Jimmy Page and the Black Crows. Yeah. So the Black Crows hired Greg to be the bass player for the tour. So we started chatting because he's from... America and everybody else is speaking Spanish. And I'm like, oh, thank God I got somebody to talk to. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be your bass player for the for the nights. You know, I learned your material. And I'm like, oh, great. Start sharing stories. And he starts telling me what he's done. And I think a couple of nights into having some drinks, he tells me that he was playing with Buddy Guy. 
And I'm like, Buddy Guy, because Buddy Guy was on the show. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I was on the I was on the show with at Alpine Valley. And I'm like, oh, my God. Waiter, shots, yeah. drinks. Yeah. <laughs> I got I to hear everything you got to say. So he got on the helicopter with Clapton. And he said Clapton was very nice to him, you know, being Buddy Guy's bass player. And, he, and Clapton really, really liked his playing, apparently. And they're on the helicopter, and all the windows are fogged up. And Clapton got a bad vibe. And he's like, you know what? Let's stay here. Wow. And he got off. And Stevie was like, I'll take the ride. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't wow. realize that. And th- that's what Greg had told me. That was that was that he met Stevie. He was with him. Watched Stevie get on the helicopter, and yeah, and that was the end of it. Wow. But but but, he, but so so Clapton was on, according to Greg. You know, yeah. I wasn't there, but yeah. Greg was. Well, they they did they did. I mean, they they re- I remember it being reported. Yeah. Um, and then they were like, oh no, wait, it was, uh, it was Stevie. That was also probably the last bad vibe Eric Clapton got. Like, where did that thing go? I don't know. They told him like, Hey, don't go ahead with this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who who knows? You know, I, I I was a kid working in Red Bank and I used to go to Jack's music for my lunch break and play guitars. And I was friends with the staff at Jack's music. I walked into Jack's and I didn't hear yet. And the place is, you can hear a pin drop in a music store. Yeah. And I said to my friend Sam that worked there, I'm like, Sam, what's, what's going on in here? He's like, you didn't hear? And I'm like, no. He's like, Stevie died. And I'm like, holy crap. No. That was just devastating. Yeah. yeah. It's too bad because who knows? And especially it's like you wouldn't have even had to wonder. You know how like with certain artists you wonder, like I wonder what they would be doing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like with Stevie, you know what? He he would have just been playing the blues. Sure. He, he would have just become one of those old like Howlin' Wolf, Money Waters, bluesmen. Absolutely. And, and played till he dropped. There's one thing that Greg said, too, and, and I'll never forget it. I haven't seen Greg in a long time, but. Greg said that show, that particular show, and I've heard this multiple places too, not just him. He said that Stevie had the night of his life. He was he was a thousand times better than everybody that night. And it wasn't a competition thing. Yeah, yeah. It was just Stevie had one of those nights where it was like everything was like, holy crap, the audience was on hanging on every note. His guitar sounded like a million dollars. You know, the whole place was just re- you know, reverberating with with his thing. Yeah. With him. And that was always a note to I say to other musicians. I'm like, if you ever have a show where everything goes perfect, because no show ever does. There's always something. Somebody had a fight with this. Yeah. Or, you know, this person got thrown out. You broke a string. You know, the cymbal cracked. Whatever. There's always something that happens. If you ever have a show where everything is perfect, do not get on a helicopter. <laughs> Just get on the bus. <laughs> maybe sleep in the maybe, green room maybe, to be yeah, safe. Yeah, yes. Because every Uber. show, there's always, yeah. there's always, it's always like that. And then I'm kind of happy when that like something goes wrong because I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die tonight. <laughs> I have another. T- yeah, I, I, I got another another day to bring. God's not going to dole out two shitty things to me in one night. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Stevie got himself clean, you know, and and he was always preaching about his sobriety and trying to help others. You know, again, the size of his heart was the size of Texas, you know, and and he he completed his mission on Earth, and yeah. and I think that was God saying, hey, you know, you're. That's enough. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, it's the people on Earth that have to suffer. Yeah. You know, not not Stevie anymore. Yeah. But I think his his death might have been when I really became aware of him, like when it was announced. I was because I was like 13. I wasn't in the blues. And then it's all of a sudden this happened. And I specifically remember the day because I, you know, it's it's in the summertime. I think it was like end of August or whatever. Super hot. And outside of Philadelphia. And my dad and my uncle were replacing the roof on our on our house. They were like, you know tearing the shingles off, put new shingles on. And it was an old house that had two layers of shingles. Like somebody, the the last owner, who was actually my my grandfather, just had two layers of shingles on. So we had to rip the whole thing. They had to rip the whole thing down and then start again. And uh, they're halfway through ripping both these shingles off. Super hot. My dad has a heat stroke (laughs) on the roof. Jesus. We We basically had to like kind of carry him off the roof. And, you know, like he he was fine, but like had to rest up for a few days, couldn't get back on the roof. So there was nobody else to do it. And like there were storms coming. It's like we had to at least get this ready to go. So it was I was 13. It was just me and my uncle on the roof, just pulling these shingles off when they announced on the radio that like Stevie Ray Vaughan died. I didn't know who he was. And then just for hours, they just played Stevie Ray Vaughan 
as I'm in like the hundred degree heat, wow. ripping shingles off a roof. And uh, it was like the I think it was like the greatest motivator because it was just like I was I had never heard this music before and I was just blown away and yeah. uh, made me work, I think, twice as hard. I mean, yeah, like a lot of musicians have, jo- have died, unfortunately, by air travel, Yeah, you know, but it had been a long time since that something like something so tragic like that yeah. has happened. That was just, you know, how could this happen? Like, how does, you know, it's just, you know. But unfortunately, it still does. You know, it yeah. was it was it was pilot error as usually yeah. it is, and they shouldn't have taken off because it was foggy, and he was disoriented and lost. You know, didn't trust his gauges, and they flew into a mountain. Oh, I didn't even know that's what happened. That, that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't see nothing. I, it always seems to. It's like it's almost cruel because it's like he'd gotten his shit together. That's he what was, it means. He's like, sober, yep, you know. Sobriety and and him helping other people to try yeah. to get sober and all the great music he was making. But I, you know, I just think God said, you know, hey, you, you're good. Yeah, you know. Um, either that or some of the other people on the copter were such assholes. <laughs> <laughs> God was like, well, sorry uh, to do this to you, Stevie, but that guy's a pedophile. You don't yeah. know it. This guy. The Grim uh, Reaper's standing there with the sickle, and he's like, yeah, I, I kind of need you. It's like, we were supposed to get Clapton. <laughs> yeah, we tried. <laughs> well, who, who else was on the copter, was it? Uh, you know, uh, I, never, I don't remember. I would say it's actually, oh, Ming's got it up right here. It's the pilot and agent, bodyguard, and tour manager. Wow. Uh, so you know how that goes. It's Stevie Ray Vaughan and four die. You know, it's the it's, most the uh, most famous person on board gets the uh, gets the spotlight. Sure, um, but I, I can't imagine his brother. You know, hearing that news, my God, you know, no. that's just uh, yeah. you know, horrendous. And yeah. I, his I brother noticed, was there. Yeah. yeah, I know the funeral was like 120 degrees in Texas, and uh, Stevie Wonder was there. Billy Gibbons was there. And who else? Oh, it's, um, it's Jackson right Brown was there. Too. Jeff Healy. Yeah, they, uh-huh. they were all in the, at, at the funeral, dying in the heat. Yeah, you know. Um, so let's talk about because um, we we gotta we gotta wrap this up. But you have a show coming up. Yes, we do. Uh, July twenty seventh, twenty eighth, twenty eighth. Oh, good. Yeah, because I I can go to that. Good. Twenty seventh, I couldn't. Please come. July twenty eighth at the Vogel. In Red Bank, yes, which and is a, a great place. It's it's a great place. They did uh, such a good job with everything—the production, the lighting, and the sound in that room. It's amazing. We're a loud band, yeah. And I'm the first person to tell any promoter or talent buyer, "Hey, look, we're not a bar band. We're a loud rock band." You know, we Stevie was loud too, by the yeah. way. He was very loud. Yeah. Um, but the the you know playing at the Cal Basie it's it's a difficult room because you can't be that loud in that room because it's it's such a huge cavern that it just makes it it compounds it's, the problem. I I saw Cheap mm-hmm. Trick at the Basie they were they were my first post COVID concert yeah and Cheap Trick brings their arena <laughs> sound system oh boy to the theaters that they play now yeah and it was. Probably the loudest. It it took you know like it took four or five songs to even adjust to how loud it was. Yep. Um, and I I've been to so many shows. I'm not like I I don't you know I'm not one of these like oh it's too loud. Like that's sure. the only concert I can remember where I was like it's 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 a tough it's it's, it's obscenely loud. It's a tough room to, to but mix. The, so the, but the the Vogel, the Vogel which is attached to the Count Basie mm-hmm. if you haven't been there yet. Uh, is a is a smaller room and the acoustics are are much more suited for a band like yes that. yep the acoustics are the acoustics are amazing it's like yeah. the everything everything about it is great if you haven't been there uh, I I would definitely go and go see Matt and yep. what so uh, is is it you solo is it the Matt O'Ree band it's the Matt O'Ree band and it's also the Anthony Kryzan band mm-hmm. and Anthony was one of the guitar players in the Spin Doctors okay um, my drummer John Hummel plays in both bands so he'll be doing double duty that night but uh, Anthony's got some new material coming out too and he's a phenomenal guitar player singer songwriter you know he's just he's a great rock and roll guy and so he's opening the show or splitting the show however however you want to look at it and then we're going to be doing our whole new record that that night oh that's so cool so the record that's forthcoming and our of course our new single will be out on all the digital media you know uh yeah s- sources 
I'm not a digital person. I'm sorry, I'm still on vinyl. Yeah, but, and and we are going to put the record out on vinyl. Later oh, that's great. Year. Yeah, it's great. I love that vinyl made a comeback. Me too. Um, I see cassettes are making a comeback. Oh, I, really? I don't know if I understand that as much. Not as excited they about that. Sound, they never sounded good. They never sounded never. great. No. They they broke all the time. They, yeah. You got to have a pencil with you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but um, you have a guitar. I, have I, a guitar. I see you have a guitar. Yeah. Um, something. Is there something you want to play before we get out of here? Um. I mean, since you talked about Stevie. Yes. Not growing up in Texas, but I mean, Stevie's mo music, you know, moved mountains, you know. Yeah. Like across the world, you know. Um, uh, let me think what would be cool on the Stevie, bon Stevie Ray Bonsai. Well, whatever. I guess we'll do this. Ladies man that was That's so great. good thank you that was so good it makes me want to quit comedy i'm like i shouldn't be doing <laughs> i shouldn't be doing anything creative no just sit in a sit in a dark room <laughs> my dad was right um matt thank you so much thank you for having me thanks for helping promote yeah, my show yeah yeah i'm gonna be there um come to the vogel on july 28th thursday show Thursday, July 28th. Uh, it's, I can't wait. I can't wait yeah. to hear the new album. I'm really, we're really 
I mean, we all collaborated. My wife, yeah. bass player Lex, and, and drummer John, and we all wrote together too, which was the first for us too. Which which is it's great. And the record really came out. It's a it's a collaboration of all of us. Yeah, you know, and it really it really reflects that. And the fact that we recorded it live at the same time, it's got that. It sounds like the old school thing. Yeah, you know, but but it's still current. It's still you know. It's it's I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, good. Me too. I can't wait to hear it. And are there, um, where can people find you? Do you, do you have any socials our, that our you want to give webs- out? Yep. Our website is mattoreeband.com. M-A-T-T-O-R-E-E band, B-A-N-D.com. And that's the best place. You'll find everything else right from our website. So right. everything is that. Go to mattoreeband.com, everybody. Yeah. Chip, you got anything? Uh, just uh, at Chip Chantry uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And thanks again, Matt. That, that was great. No How about you, Ken? Uh, Ken Krantz comic and go. Oh, you know what? I have a show, um, in Red Bank. Uh, this is cool. Chip, you're going to have to come do this. We're taking over a barber shop. Really? Uh, Kings of the craft barber shop on front street okay. in Red Bank, uh, Thursday, July 21st at eight. Um, there will be tickets at the door or I have a link. You can, uh, you can private message me for the link. Um, that's going to be showing off some of the Jersey Shore's best comedians. Wow. Um, we're going to be doing that every month. And then we have a uh, uh, live I Love Rock and Roll Thursday, uh, Wednesday, July 27th at The Stand. You can go to thestand.com for tickets. Cool. And that's it. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you'll come back in once the album's out. And love to. We've had a chance yeah, to, to uh, we've had yeah. a chance to hear it. Sure. Uh, bring your wife next time if you want. I, I, I'm um, only if you want. If this is like no, hey, this, is. this an hour out of the house, I get that. <laughs> I get that too. <laughs> it's up to you. She's, yeah, she's she should be here for sure. All right, but great. I'll also thank thank you for thinking of me with with the Stevie Ray Vaughan topic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you were I'm you honored. were the you thank were the you. you were the first person that I thought of. Thank you. So thank you for doing it. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Bye.